Hey guys, welcome back to the Progress Pure podcast. This week we're doing something a little bit different. It's going to be kicking off my series called the Debate Series. And the reason why I decided to do this is because uh, when I was at university, I did history. We did a lot of debating in tutorials and stuff like that. And I realized that when I started living in the real world, I had no real reason to study or learn anything. So I started doing these dinner debates where I invited between eight to 12 people. We chose a topic, anything historical, political, anything that's controversial. And based on a lot of reading that we did, we would debate it out. So I thought I would take that and start doing it on the pod. I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, that's recording. This is recording. It's fine that it's recording there. Wow, the first ever person on the pod, Judah. I'm very excited to be here, Tash. I'm excited to be here. Obviously, we're gonna chat about capital punishment. And uh, we haven't done this since... When would, when did we have the Capital Punishment debate? Back in December? So, no, I think Capital Punishment was the first dinner debate that you did. Yeah. So that must have been like November, December time. Yeah, I think it was November. And so, obviously, for people who don't know what the dinner debates are, me and Judah were in... Uh, we both went to Edinburgh together and we both did history. And obviously, we had history tutorials where once a week we would... like. It wasn't a topic, was it? Or like we would be learning a topic and we'd have to read about it. I think it was basically you were meant to read about a topic, come in and debate it. But yeah. nobody would have ever done the reading. So it was like an hour of just sitting and trying to avoid <laughs> eye contact. Yeah. And do you remember we had that one history tutor, tutor guy who was like, um, I want to let you all know that I, uh, I love the silence. So I'm just going to sit here until you speak. I think that was like most of first year of uni was a lot of awkward silences. Yes. So I remember the first ever tutorial, the way that you made your mark on the class. Oh no. So shout out to Anna Fenter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think it was the first time when everybody was going around the room and it was like introducing yourself and taking the register, making everyone was here. And she goes, okay, and Molly Teshever, and what what was it you said? And just looked her dead in the eye and said, it's just not that hard a name to pronounce. (laughs) No, I didn't mean it. Okay, it sounds obviously so bad when you say it like that. But I was like, I think firstly I corrected her. Like I was like, it's Teshuva. And then honestly, I was coming it up from an angle of, I don't want her to feel bad about herself Mm -hmm. pronouncing it wrong. So I was trying to say like, it's actually just not that difficult to say because I, I wanted her to feel like, oh, right. That's not how it came across at all. And when you could tell, because for the rest of it, everybody then went, oh. Like it was that kind of simultaneous sigh where everyone was like, wow, did that really just happen? I know. And I didn't get it. I was just like, what are you talking about? But yeah, that was hilarious. But um, I do. So basically, yes, the idea of the deb- dinner debates came from that because after leaving university, I felt like there was never really a time or a place where I had to actively go and learn about things that are happening in the world or that did happen, which meant that I think I was just becoming pretty dumb because I was getting to a point where all I was doing was like work and stuff and then people were talking about Brexit and I was like, I haven't even really read about Brexit or like know what's Mm -hmm. going on and then figured that if I had a date and a time where I have to have learned something by, then it will give me enough motivation to be equipped in that field or like that topic you know Mm -hmm. so I think the thing I loved about those dinner debates is that you would be able to come in and everybody would be very respectful of each other's opinions and 
you could go in with whatever level of reading you've done and have an honest open debate and say this is my opinion and my understanding yeah tell me what yours is and prove me wrong yeah and people weren't so attached to what their opinions were it didn't define them and so if there were people disagreeing with them it didn't seem like it was a personal attack 100 percent. and i think with these topics that are so big and vast it's impossible to first of all have a comprehensive opinion of it knowing you know how much stuff is on it this is just like a fyi guys don't <laughs> fucking judge us <laughs> if we say this is an my opinion. caveat yeah this is my caveat to say like even if i'm going to argue that i'm in favor of the death penalty on which this podcast, which i am yeah even if that's going to be my stance on this i'm not going to go out and start enforcing it or if i wasn't <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't admit it on this podcast yeah here. yeah we will admit it after mm-hmm. um no yeah i think 100 percent um People like, you know, me and Judah, we're just your average 24, whatever, trying to make it in this world, like make a living. And we're just here to chat about this, learn about something interesting and just talk about it amongst ourselves in order to maybe like expand our own opinion. And what better way to try and like learn more about something than we're talking to someone who has a totally different opinion to what you do right yeah absolutely it's a very yeah. wholesome way to spend a sunday afternoon oh my god it? it's so wholesome um so yes the topic is is capital punishment obviously and before we kind of you know get in stuck in i just want to define the term by the way i never did like debating society at school so there will probably be things where people who are like debating nerds watch this and they're like you haven't done the floor and that you haven't addressed the whatever. Like this. So this is Molly's caveat for if I win, she can say just guys, FYI, I don't have a background in this. So like, it's good to get it all out in the I open do. now. Don't judge me, please. Um, okay, sweet. So the definition of capital punishment for those of you morons who don't know, kidding, obviously. Um, for, no, for those of you who don't know, like death penalty, capital punishment, I just got this definition off Wikipedia. It's capital punishment, also known as the death penalty, is a government sanctioned practice whereby a person is put to death by the state as a punishment for a crime and just side note <laughs> don't look at my sheet no but listen i just need to say one thing is that underneath this you've got fun facts and i don't think i've ever heard the word fun facts in the context of the death penalty so like a very entertaining way to start it off well you know fun facts so you've got to read the fun facts you've got now. to read the fun fact which is obviously what i was gearing up for so Sorry to steal your thunder let me i'm going to say it as if you don't know that i've written it down okay okay so it's just come from my mind judah fun fact yeah did you know that the term capital um means of the head and it's derived by the latin capital this okay that sounds like bullshit basically the term capital means of the head it comes from latin and uh it it basically alludes to execution by beheading that is a fun fact it is a fun fact (laughs) how fun do you feel right now well i can't say i'm head over heels for it i couldn't help that's one of those really bad dad joke yeah yeah it's terrible um so a couple of facts as well before we get into it uh as of july 2018 Reported by Amnesty International, 56 countries uh, still use the death penalty. And they uh, have four kind of different categories to categorize countries in regards to the death penalty. So there's either abolitionists, which is just countries that totally abolish it and it's not part of their criminal justice um, system. Then there's abolitionists for ordinary crimes only. Um, So uh, the countries that don't... um, use a death penalty for ordinary crimes, which even in some circumstances, murder is described as like an ordinary crime, although it really might, it depends on country to country. Mm-hmm. Um, abolitionists in practice, meaning that they haven't officially banned the death penalty, but they haven't used it in the last 10 years. 
Uh, and then there is also retentionists, which is just countries that are full, fully in favor of the death penalty and still use it to this day, regardless of um, uh, ordinary crimes or non-ordinary crimes. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, there some of the uh, countries today that still use it, which also define themselves as democratic, which I think is super interesting, is obviously the US, um, then there's Japan, uh, South Korea, Taiwan, um, and then obviously there are some more countries as well, which we will get into. But I thought, so you, so tell me your position before we kind of go into the subtopics. You are for the death penalty. So my position is that if you look at what the state does to enforce the death penalty, it's what they're saying is some crimes should be punishable by not allowing people to continue to exist. Right, but before we get into that, sorry, I just want to make it really clear. You are going to be arguing for the death penalty. I'll be arguing for the death penalty. Okay, and I'm going to be arguing against the death penalty, essentially. Okay, now give me your... Give me your... My opening. Your, yeah, your opening. There we go. Where would I be without you? <laughs> yeah. Um so I think my, my opinion so far, and I'm looking forward to you changing it and proving me wrong. Of course. But as a starting point, I think there are some situations where the state should be able to step in and end somebody's life because that person has given up their right to exist. Now, in what circumstances would you say that that's something that should be acceptable? I think heinous crimes, crimes that uh, are against children or of a sexual nature, really degrading things where the people... Uh, have nothing to lose mm -hmm. or have committed something that is not just scarring and physically damaging to the person itself mm -hmm. but also is psychologically traumatic to any of the people that are involved in it because that's something that lasts long after the event itself is committed whether it's a murder or sexual assault mm -hmm. whatever it is I think there are some circumstances where the crime is so violent and so terrible that that person foregoes their right to exist okay I also think the reason the death penalty should be allowed in some circumstances. I'm not saying that it's something that should be applicable across the board, but in circumstances where people can be put behind bars and still are able to commit crimes or still inflict damage due to um, you know flaws in the prison system or whatever it is, they're still able to order murders or cause pain to people. I don't think that they should be able to continue to do that. And that's why I think that in some circumstances it makes sense uh, from a practical standpoint to enforce the death penalty. Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. So you're saying that in some scenarios where you cause lasting harm on a human being, whether you take their life, whether against specific, you know, um, vulnerable groups in, in society like children, in those cases, the government and the state should have the right to choose to end someone's life. However, you don't think that in some cases where the government or the state can have the power to carry out murders or something uh, like that they might define themselves as as just, that they shouldn't? Or what was the last bit, if you can just clarify what you mean? So I, I guess what I mean is that, so first of all, to take a step back, I don't think it's something that is applicable to every country. I think in some circumstances it won't work, and I think it has the ability to be abused, especially by governments that are not on the side of the people and mm -hmm. are very autocratic. So I know that there are flaws with it, but what I'm saying is there are some circumstances where it can work as a deterrent and as a way to give retribution to people that have been impacted by mm. a criminal. But even saying that there are some countries and places where, for example, they 
you don't they the government they say they might say that they're democratic like for example japan are on paper defined as like a democracy so you could say oh so potentially for uh, japan they can authorize the death penalty because on the whole we trust them but it's still and they do have the death penalty but it's still super corrupt like they're within uh, japan like there is corruption amongst the police um and they they aren't seen a lot of their practices aren't fully democratic in the sense that like Norway is probably one of the best democracies in the world, you know? So how can you, how can you, and I don't mean it's like, Judah, how can you say this? But like, how can you um, say that only some countries can do it because we trust some governments? Like, for example, America is supposed to be, you know, I mean, I feel like this term is outdated, outdated, but like leader of the free world. And like, just look at what happened, you know, recently and, and it, you know, with uh, George Floyd and the government uh, system itself, like it is so inherently, you know, can be corrupt. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, how would you even, how can you say, oh, some countries should allow it based on what they on the surface politically say that they are and that some aren't? So I guess what I mean by that is that regardless of whatever the country is, there is a certain amount of faith as citizens that we put into the government that they should have the ability to make some decisions en masse that not your average person can make. Mm -hmm. So let's take a step away from the death penalty for a second and look at the concept of death or murder or killing. Okay. So if you look at that in the context of going to war to protect your country, there are circumstances where we accept that the normal rules of play are suspended and that killing is permissible in certain circumstances when you're going to fight another country. Right. So I don't think anyone would disagree that killing is a you know sad sadly an essential part of war mm. that to be able to assert a physical dominance over an opponent mm -hmm. there is always going to be bloodshed mm -hmm. not in every circumstance but a lot of the time that is what happens mm. and whether you agree or not with war whether you're a pacifist or whatever the fact that that happens and the fact that governments allow it mm. means that societally we agree that killing and murder there is a scale you can't say outright that it is inherently um I would say wrong to kill, like right. everybody has their opinions on that, but as a society we make a decision that in some circumstances it's permissible. Right. So if you take that same concept and then apply it rather than on a country, uh, a country level at warring, look internally at criminals or people that are misbehaving or behaving out of line with what society deems to be acceptable. Yeah. Again, some societies make that decision that the government should be able to make that decision about when killing is permissible yeah. because it's for the greater good, whether it's to win a war and to secure the kind of freedom and safety of a country or whether it's to remove somebody who's causing harm to a society and yeah. a small community. Sure, but then again, like so many, even the topic of war is a debate in itself. Like a lot of people wouldn't agree to the way that governments now uh, adhere war and go to war and like... Uh, even, you know, I guess if we're going to be talking about like the US and the US invading Iraq, like, you know, just because that's what the government have decided to do. And maybe that like the overall majority in like a Gallup poll have agreed that, yeah, we should go and stop terrorism in Iraq. Obviously, that that is a debate itself. And maybe that's something that needs to be spoken about. And just because we accept that right now as the norm doesn't mean that that should be the norm. And like, maybe that's something that doesn't need to change anyway. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I think regardless of whether it is or isn't a good thing, yeah. we agree that given the reality of what it means to live in a country, if we were attacked by someone, we would expect that our country would go to war and would have physical troops on the ground to defend us. Right. And part of that defence would include potentially killing hostile enemies. Sure. So take that and 
put it on a micro level where yeah. rather than the hostile enemy being a warring nation that is trying to invade us yeah um and i'm speaking in hypotheticals here but you know this can be taken anywhere around the world if a country is being invaded citizens expect rightly so i believe that their country should come to their defense and should if needs be retaliate with force yes so i'm saying take that same concept and put it down to the human level so rather than a country invading you've got one person who is trying to inflict damage so whether it's a terrorist whether it's a you know serial murderer you know violent child rapist these okay. things okay i'm saying that i believe it's acceptable and permissible and almost expected that the government should step in and take suitable action and if that is killing this person or removing them uh-huh I believe it's justifiable. Okay, so your point is very much that as a society, because we're so massive, we have to give a a small, concentrated group of people who we've entrusted because of democracy, because we've voted for them in theory, that someone needs to have the right to make that call on our behalf to protect us. Yeah. Okay, but, right, I understand, for example, potentially, if someone murders your family or whatever and you it's it's classically like a terrible terrible thing that's happened um and that person gets a death penalty i don't agree with it but i understand it what if for example because these countries these democratic countries uh, and obviously we can go into the ones that really, which really aren't democratic or have uh, the death penalty based on like sharia law but those ones who um let's say you're you're out with your friend or like let's say me i'm attacked by someone on the street and i murder this person in Mm self-defense i get the death penalty and in a lot of these countries that does happen so what do you think about that like because that's not just someone like with war it's different and i know if we try and apply war on that level of if someone is trying to hurt you or murder you or whatever but like if i am technically like an innocent quote-unquote person someone attacks me i had no intention of originally killing them but i end up killing them what the fuck do you do? Am I am I now? I've got to go on the death penalty. No, so I first of all, I think that's a really valid point. Thank you, Judah. Um, <laughs> Put it there. Um, yeah, no, I th- I think that's a really uh, a really important point. And whilst I do say I'm in favour of the death penalty, I don't think it's something that should be liberally applied to all people. I think that it should be reserved to reflect the most severe crimes and should be a punishment only for those crimes which are you know unspeakably terrible. I think one of the flaws and one of the things that I agree should be a deterrent against using the death penalty is that it's very difficult sometimes to say with complete um, conviction that you know 100% this person is going to be guilty. Mm -hmm. So if you were attacked and you in self-defense ended up killing somebody, that's going to be such a grey area and so much contention around the the debate of who's right, who's wrong, Mm. are you innocent, are you guilty... I don't think in those circumstances there would be grounds to say, okay, we're going to apply the death penalty to you, Molly, and But why that's not? It. Why would... What? Because what I'm talking about with the death penalty is looking at things like the most severe terrorist attacks. I'm talking about okay. things which are, you know, unfortunately the ones that make the, the news headlines or get the Netflix documentaries hey. about them. Like, terrible, terrible stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, thankfully... Uh, the reason it's so shocking is because it doesn't happen so much. Right. I think one of the main criticisms that you can make of the death penalty is to say you can never be 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Now, you could apply that to any uh, any law and say you can never be 100% sure if somebody committed a crime. So yeah. But then, should we imprison people at all? Um, yeah. My, my belief is, look, there are ways that you can... First of all, there are ways that you can say this person absolutely has committed this crime evidence is substantial enough that you can say without a shadow of a doubt that they should be convicted um 
in those circumstances, I think then there's a cause to use the death penalty. Mm. I think one of the reasons that it takes so long to execute somebody in America, for example, when you have people spending decades on death row, mm. is you want to be 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very but good. But you can never be 100% sure. You can never be 100% sure. But that, that's, that's a challenge with the judicial system as a whole. That's not just looking at the death penalty. Right. But don't you think that, do you believe that if there is risk of one innocent person being put to death, being sentenced to death and executed uh, on false evidence, do you think that that's enough to stop the death penalty? No, it doesn't sound like you agree with that. Even though I think it's, it's a good question. Because um... there is risk, of, you know, and I think that since like 1976, like 162 people have been exonerated from death row in the US. And like that's, you know, an insane... I mean, can you even imagine? I know this is kind of going from more of like a humanistic point of view, but like, oh, it just it ruins your whole life. And how are we and how are we as a people or as a jury or as a government, the people to decide whether you get to live or die as a human being? And then especially when there's a chance of you being innocent, like, um, yeah, I just sorry, go back to my question. Like, I'm curious whether if there's a chance of someone being innocent, do you think that that's enough to take away the death penalty as a, a punishment itself or do you think that the 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 qual- like the reward or maybe reward is the wrong word but like the success of the death penalty um, or the justice of it is high enough in order to risk that that i think that if there's any shadow of a doubt about whether or not somebody has committed a crime then the death penalty should at least be put on hold for as long as possible as it is with people that even once they're convicted uh, and end up on somewhere like death row, mm. it will still take years and years to process because what they're looking for is, will anything else come to light that will change that decision? Are we able to bring new perspectives that weren't previously available? And can we um, correct a potential mistake? But what does that mean, put on hold? So that means that if somebody's convicted of a crime that warrants the death penalty, they still might not die for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that is... It wants to have enough time that any proper appeals process can take uh, appeals processes can take place, yeah. and it gives people the chance to counter it even after that first initial trial. I think that's very important, and I think it's good that there are those systems and checks and balances in place. Yeah, but but go on. So I was going to say that the, the point I want to make is that there are certain times where you can say with complete conviction, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> with complete conviction that somebody has committed a crime, and I think in those circumstances. If a terrorist plot has been foiled, for example, or yeah. if somebody does commit a terrorist attack and causes so much unspeakable damage, mm. and you can say with 100% conviction, this is the person who did it, mm. I think that is at least cause to consider um, you know, using the death penalty as a punishment, even if it's not used, tabling it as a possibility. Right. Now, why, why do I think that's important? I think the, the punishment has to reflect the crime. The punishment has to reflect the crime. Okay, so do you mean like an eye for an eye? I guess if you want to have it in its most basic terms, it's an eye for an eye. Now, wow, that's pretty. That's pretty uh, ancient. That uh, an eye for an eye, like that is uh, like you know you steal potentially like you steal from my shop. I cut your hand off. So, I understand that, and I think it is a very primitive way of looking it's at super it. That's primitive. a way oversimplification. But first things first, you've got to remember that all of you know, at least Western values and liberalism and everything that we now believe in now stems from, you know, both, you know, Greek, Greco-Roman and then Judeo-Christian values. And that was such an inherent part of it, the idea that retribution is something that 
should be done. Right. Why? Because it's a way to create a fully functioning society. Sure. You need to have consequences for your actions. Otherwise, it would just be a you know, race to the bottom in terms of morals and whoever was the strongest, most brutish person would be able to dominate that society. I kind of disagree in a way. Like, I understand having consequences for your actions is, of course, an important way for society to function. But then at the same time, like... I don't think you need punishments as in like an eye for an eye in order to deter people from committing crimes. Like at the end of the day, we are, you know, we are human. And I think most people have good in them without having to have such, uh, such like uh, an eye for an eye kind of like barbaric. I, I don't know. I kind of see it as barbaric. So let me, let me put a question back to you then. Sure. So somebody is convicted of murder sure. and the death penalty question isn't even on the table at this point. Murder the most terrible crime that you can commit they're put behind bars and they can continue to rain terror on the people in the prison they're harming people they're sexually assaulting other prisoners they're potentially hurting guards killing them at what point does somebody abuse their right to exist so much that you would say okay some more severe action needs to take place okay so i um i don't agree with the death penalty on any level so my answer is never going to be i know you said it's off the table but like I just want to highlight my answer will never be even if they do the most terrible things and they continue to recommit inside prison let's say I don't think anyone should be killed because of that um I think that there is it okay on a practical level if they're in prison and they're like you know killing people and all this stuff firstly like where are the prison guards like can we mm-hmm. just control this criminal um or lock them away or whatever in like a deeper darker cell I just guess you could say as a practical answer to that but I very much um believe more with like okay so going back to norway they are seen as like one of the most democratic like successful democracy countries through and through and their um their prison system is completely focused on rehabilitation uh, and trying to you know improve the criminal's life or like make their life um to try and bring them back to a point where they can be integrated within society so i think that Anyone, doesn't matter who you are, I think there is a chance that you can come back. Mm. I believe in second, third chances or whatever, that you can rehabilitate yourself and you can become a functioning human being and be integrated back in society. And like within Norway, um, you know, that all of their prisons, like they don't have bars on the windows. Um, they are allowed like sharp objects in the kitchens. There's like trust, you know, they're encouraged to like make relationships and friendships within those prisons. And they have the lowest uh, recommittal crimes out of any country. Like I think it's 20% of people in Norway who go to jail to reoffend. In the States, it's closer to 80%. Um, and so I don't, I just think it's sad that the answer has to be, they should be killed rather than like we should put money towards making that person back into society because and and maybe that's impractical because you know it's such a kind of like wouldn't it be nice if we could all just like be hold hands and everything but then again maybe it's actually not because it costs so much money in the US to have a person on death row like three times the price than or three times the cost than a person who's just sentenced to life mm-hmm. so i think if you're sentenced to life in the US apparently from what i read it's about 1.3 million dollars it charges uh, the US taxpayers if you're uh, sentenced to death row it can tr- charge up to 3 million dollars and there was this some statistics talking about in Pennsylvania let me find this this is actually insanely interesting so uh, in Pennsylvania, um, I was reading read this article that was talking about over a call. I can't don't know how long this period of time was, but over a period of time, um, 
Pennsylvania charged taxpayers over $350 million to have 185 people on death row, mm-hmm. of which only three people ended up being executed. Which, like, firstly is, like, how are you, how are you charging 185 people? Like, how are you going to kill them? And then only three people executed. Like, doesn't that highlight there's so much flaw to the system anyway? You mm-hmm. know? So there's a, there's a couple of things there that are really interesting I want to go back to. Yeah. So the first is that... Absolutely, it sounds like what's going on in Norway is working really well, and I am for rehabilitation as an approach. I yeah. think in, in a lot of circumstances it's very important, and it is something desirable. Yeah, I do believe in second chances. I think people are inherently good, and that most people uh, end up committing crimes through circumstances which put them in a position where either they're desperate or the way that they've been brought up gives them a warped sense of morality, and mm-hmm. that's why a lot of people find religion in prison or find meaning in different ways, and are able to re-enter society as a functioning uh, functioning citizen. Mm. Now, I think it's very difficult to hold the whole world to the standard of Norway, which is one of the most developed places in the world, yeah. with the highest GDP per capita, one of the highest um, you know distributions of wealth, very small population, a lot of taxes going into um, setting it up so that those systems are in place. Oh, yeah, don't they have like really high tax? Really high tax. What is their tax? Like. More than, like, <laughs> More than bordering it. on communist. It's high. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank God look, we don't live there. But I guess, look, for, for me, the idea is that absolutely that's a great thing to aim towards. But the first thing is that even if 90, 99%, 99.9% of all criminals could be rehabilitated, there are always going to be people that aren't able to be, uh, to be put back into society. Now, the second thing that I want to draw on from one of the comments that was made when we did the first debates mm. um, back when it was, yeah, back in October, November time, and somebody made the point that in some countries, like it was Brazil, because the, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I was seeing someone at the time who was from Brazil, so I think he made, is it him? Did he make this it comment? It is him, yeah. I'm not, I'm not allowed to name drop him, I know, but um, I don't think it, it really was, matters. Yeah, it was Vitor. Um, <laughs> so um, Vitor made the point, which I really agreed with, which was Shout out. in some places like Brazil, where you have such political corruption, mm. There are mob bosses or people that are able to continue to commit crimes no matter how imprisoned they are and continue to order the murders of innocent people. Yeah. Now, Norway sounds like a really strong, well-functioning society where they have a very positive and strong rehabilitative culture and that there's a genuine desire to help people get back into society because it's going to be good for society as a whole. Mm. Places like Brazil and other less economically developed countries just don't have the uh, infrastructure in place or don't have the political desire in place have way too much corruption that crime would continue to be committed mm-hmm. and people, innocent people would continue to uh, to be hurt, killed, whatever. So do you think that these people should be able to continue to commit their crimes or do you think that it would be a net positive if they were removed completely so that they weren't able to inflict more pain and suffering even after they've been punished? But you know what the problem is with that? Sen- that was what you just said, even though I loved it. The problem with that, Judah, is that these places where like Brazil, um, like Indonesia, like Pakistan, like Saudi Arabia, potentially even, even places where they, um, it's inherently corrupt and uh, potentially the only option is, like you said, to kind of get rid of these people from society rather than, because they don't have the capabilities, whether it's like financial, economic, so- social, to rehabilitate these people. Those, um, they have, they, they, have such high crime rates like the, in Iran I think they have like um, I actually don't remember but I just know that there's a lot like high crime there but 
the places often where they allow the death penalty to continue as a way of trying to stop or deter people from committing crimes, it doesn't work. Like people still commit all these crimes. So maybe they can't afford to be like, have such rehabilitation aims like Norway, but I definitely don't think clearly from the evidence that uh, executing people doesn't create a difference within these crime um, rates, that what what's the point of doing that anyway? Like I, if you can't afford it to rehabilitate people, I get it, but like murdering people um, I didn't mean to just say murdering for like dramatic emphasis. I'm like, you're murdering mm-hmm. these people. But like, but it worked. It right? worked. Yeah, right. Like, just murdering <laughs> them, but executing them, it doesn't, um, it's not like that's the only option if you can't afford to rehabilitate. Yeah, of course. And look, I think, I want to make it clear that I think there are so many other things that you can do to, you know, or ideas that are worth exploring that have validity that could be a good way to channel um, the energy of people that have been put into those circumstances. So whether it's, um, you know, big public works programs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that the purpose of the death penalty is just to uh, act as a deterrent and cause people not to okay. uh, not to commit crimes. Okay. I think it's a punishment, but not necessarily a deterrent. So, I agree. I've seen all the statistics that it doesn't necessarily have a correlation between countries with the death penalty having a lower um, lower crime rate. But these these crimes exist anyway, and the question is not. Is it going to have a net positive impact on the number of people committing crimes? No, the question I'm talking about okay. is what happens when somebody does commit that crime? Sure. And these are one-off circ- uh, these are one-off cases uh, or very, very, you know, one in a million um, kind of really standout, terrible circumstances which make us think, okay, well, should we, um, should we consider this right. as a solution? Okay, but then I have two things to say to that. One, how can we define and how do you trust the people in government, we kind of already briefly spoke about this, to define what is really terrible as a crime? And two, what do you then say, let's go with two, because we've kind of talked about one. Two, what do you say then for countries like uh, Saudi Arabia, sometimes in Pakistan it happens, but just less, uh, like in Iran, countries where they define terrible crimes as adultery, as pornography, as, you know, if you're a woman going out on the street, potentially on your own, like how, how what do you think they should do, you know? Mm. Like how do you define the, because I know you said, you know, some countries where we can trust democracy, but like, do you think capital punishment shouldn't be allowed in in those countries? And then if you think that, isn't that kind of a potentially like, uh, you know, pretty risky white guy to be saying like, mm-hmm. which countries can have capital punishment and which can't because some are like less developed or, you know, it's like a risky thing to say. I get that completely. And look, I think, again, I'm speaking... I'm trying to speak objectively as possible and just explore the other side. I'm not saying sure. I think like this is exactly what we should do. Um, that's my that's my caveat. Yeah. <laughs> but look, I think the f- the first thing is because uh, it's a really interesting and important question that you just raised. I think if you look at countries like Saudi Arabia, Iran, where they have uh, a lot stricter laws based on religion. Yeah. The first thing is well, what is the kind? Of, what are the values of that society? Yeah. Well, so yeah. I don't. I don't believe in um, moral relativism and the idea that you can excuse some behaviour because it is, um, you know, that circumstance or that religion or that worldview. Because I, I think there are principles that we should all be moving towards. You mean as a human? As humans. As, as humans. Okay. But somebody from that society and like people on mass might say the reason that we are for this is that this is what we as a people believe in. Therefore, we're happy for the government to do that. So in the same way that we say we as a society believe that yeah. people should have the right to exist without having 
their personal liberties infringed on. Right. They would say, we believe that we're a country of deep religious uh, value. And, you know, mm. I'm saying I, un- I understand the problems with that statement. I'm just saying, if you were to ask how, um, you know, how can you justify that? I'm not justifying that, but that is how they would justify it, saying we have the right to create our own sure, laws in sure. accordance with how we as a society want to live. Sure. Even though it's super... I don't know, because I remember, like, Vitor was talking briefly about this. I don't know if you remember as well, when he was saying, like, then again, if you're saying, who are we to um, tell people who who can be killed and who can't be killed, then who are you again to tell countries how they can rule and how they can't rule? But then maybe this is a question for, honestly, things like United Nations and UNICEF and Amnesty International, because, like you know, countries that run or have a lot of these foundations based on Sharia law or like even Indonesia where, um, you know, like Indonesia and Pakistan, they both, their judicial law originates from, you know, Indonesia, it's uh, Dutch and then in Pakistan, it's British because of colonial rule. But it has been, um, there is influence of Sharia law in these places um, because of kind of like, you know kind of muslims trying to go in and uh spread their religious beliefs from the quran and everything uh onto how they should just rule regular law even though it's all totally based in like religion that was written thousands and thousands of years ago i don't even know where i was going with that where was i going with that oh yeah but those countries Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. So, like, someone saying, how can you impose that a country doesn't want to rule the way it wants to rule? But And this is a humanitarian problem, because how can you base uh, people's lives and uh, what we do in today's society in a modern world on things which were hundreds of thousands of years ago and incredibly fucked up? Like, it's super fucked up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there has to be, in terms of when countries relate the death penalty or whatever to religion to religion we have to just be aware that we've moved on from that and you know even ireland like a couple of years ago allowing people to get abortions and you have to separate religion from the time that we live in now so do you believe that countries should have the right to govern in a way that they want or do you think that they should all have to adhere to another external kind of i want, I want to say unbiased because there's always going to be some political sense that is controlling these supranational organizations but mm-hmm. do you think it's better that a country has the right to govern on its own or should it have to take its rules from something greater than itself to a certain extent it should be allowed to govern on its own i think that in, a, in an ideal world we could have organizations that don't have financial or political um don't worry just destroy the microphone um, <laughs> i was just trying to yeah, <laughs> unravel your argument. yeah i know thanks let me concentrate <laughs> Uh, yeah, like organizations and charities that don't have financial, political, uh, you know, hands, I guess, in the honey jar or whatever the phrase is, um, in order to like get get an outcome that they want, should kind of come to the table, come to the round table, have like a Potsdam or wherever, wherever they did that, and um, and just say like, as human beings that live in today's society, like these are things that you ca- we can't punish your citizens for like if we're going to be heads of the state and take control of how people live their lives it can't um you can't kill people for watching porn sorry like there is a certain extent that people just live their own life and like i don't think that the state should just kind of you know fuck off and not uh of course we need someone who's going to be like okay on blanket surface this is right this is wrong Uh, i just don't i think that the question of morality and death is beyond us 
and beyond something which potentially a jury of 12 random people should have the power, you know, Bob from down the road and Kathy across the street. Like, I think that's wrong that they can be so influential in that and hold so much power, especially when, you know, and I know this again, like, how can you, uh, how can you accuse anyone of a crime if you're going to say this? But also, like, there's so much information we don't know, like, Mm -hmm. what happened, you know, was it self-defense? And even if we can go to court and have all these trials, like, and this is going way too airy-fairy, but, like, everything that happened in your life up until this moment is just because you're the product of everything that's happened to you. I just think it's too... just don't kill people, bro. Mm. Look, I think I think the great th- well, I'm gonna be careful how I phrase this, but I think <laughs> I think the fact that with any with any debate, but with this one in particular, the fact that there are differences of opinion uh, means that it's very difficult to ever say objectively that there is going to be one right or one uh, one right or wrong approach. Yeah, there's always going to be, no matter how strongly you can make an argument, there's always going to be people that have a difference of opinion. I'm just trying it on for today. It's, you know, again, I'm still trying to work out what my opinion is. Can I just say, it sounds a little bit like you agree with me. (laughs) There's loads of things I I agree with you on. (laughs) I'm joking. We're about, yeah, yeah, we're we're close. Okay, okay. But no, the point I want to make is that, look, with any topic, there's always going to be differences of opinion. Sure. And going back to something you said earlier about if we claim to want to be in a democratic society, well, the idea of that is that each person has an equal right, no matter how educated or otherwise they are, each person who takes part in society has the right to an opinion. Mm. And if you can have enough of the people with the same opinion, that's how we're going to create the laws and that's how we're going to create direction in which we as a country go. Sure. So even if there's a point now where 90% of the people in a country believe that the death penalty is wrong, there is 10% that, you know, has the right to think the other thing and, you know, has the right to say, no, this is what I believe and this is why. Mm. And it's for that 10% to try and convince the other 90% in whatever way it is, campaigning, blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know, the fact that there are those differences of opinion, first of all, makes a society well-functioning. Second of all, if there is a shift in opinion, that's the beauty of democracy, is to be able to say, well, we as a society have changed our mind on what we believe is right or is wrong, Mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, we're going to reflect in law what we at this point in time believe. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic for things like, you know, progressive, um, you know, feminism, uh, racial equality, all of these great things are a product of that. Mm. Uh, this isn't a value judgment to say whether the death penalty is good or bad, just to say that if we are in a democratic society, mm. having differences of opinions means that by default it must be something that is least, you know, should be explored. Sure. So, sure, I agree. Everything should be up for debate and talking about it. And just because you have an opinion on something, it doesn't mean that you're right. Even if it's on like dark topics that you think there's a right and a wrong, everything should be talked about if someone else has a different opinion. Well, I think even more than that, not just it's great to be able to talk about it, but it's so important to be able to have these debates without, um, you know, without shaming people for having opinions that might sit outside of what people would say is, you know, socially acceptable norm. Mm. Because these opinions are going to be there whether or not we allow them to be Mm -hmm. and actually by outlawing or making things seem dangerous and you know like it shouldn't be something that's spoke about it makes them you know just go underground and they become sexy or whatever yeah yeah it's something that people say oh well this is forbidden you know it's fantastic to be able to speak about these things and i think that the only way you get to a consensus yeah is just by giving people as much information as possible and allowing people to say this is what i believe this is why it's here yeah you know, people have to go into that being, you know, wanting to be proven wrong. Yeah. I don't think that you can say you believe in something until you've explored the arguments against it and that you can just as articulately argue against your point as you can argue for it. Yes, I agree with that. And I think that is pretty much the whole point of originally, like, starting these dinner debates is to just allow, like, the point is rather to 
learn and listen to other people rather than to just be heard mm -hmm. because that like, you learn nothing obviously from doing that you know even though we love the sound of our own voices right <laughs> Mate, i was talking about that when i was did my last podcast i was talking about how um you know i'm really trying to like listen to people and more i know one of my like rules that i'm trying to principles that i believe in life is you should try and listen more than you talk and then as i was saying i was like as i say that whilst i'm making a podcast <laughs> where it's just me talking okay like on record, how often do you re-listen to your own podcast? You know, not often, not often. Mm -hmm. When I post, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when <laughs> I post, great. I know. When I post about them on the day, I'll listen to like the snippets that I make mm. over, cause I'm like, oh, it's quite funny. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, that's funny. You have like a blooper reel as well of like things just for you to laugh at. When no, you're... no, cause often the blooper, like, honestly the editing that goes into making one podcast is so long. So mm. like, if I have to do that over and over again, I'm just gonna hate the process. Fair. So I don't do it. Um, you need to get an engineer. You need somebody to come uh, in and do all that for you. Rather than having everything stacked on like a pile of books. It looks great. Thanks. Like the setup is fantastic. Thanks. But like, yeah, four or five more pods and I reckon you'll be uh, in the money to get one. Right. Okay. So guys, you've got to share this. Share it with your mates, not your mates. Anyone who you haven't spoken to a while. Anyone who disagrees with you on Capital Punishment. Because the more we share it, the more I can up my, my quality of shiz. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, June, I think we'll wrap it up. Nice. Well, thank you very much for having me, Tash. I had a great time. It was a pleasure. What are you doing for the rest of today? What so, are you guys doing? By the way, uh, uh, Judah's girlfriend, Emily, has been sitting here on the floor the whole time. So thank silently you. Silently cheering every yeah. time I make a point. Yeah, exactly. Giving just like placards to Judah being like, you should say this. Yeah, all of like all of my arguments have come from her. She's yeah. just been violently scribbling stuff and holding it up to yeah. me. So uh, that's my uh, my source of knowledge. Yeah. Um, no, so, <laughs> just shifting on to Emily. <laughs> no, so after this, we're going to go for a drink. We're going to go enjoy the sunshine. Where are you going to go for a drink? Uh, White City House. So just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. So then we're nice. going to go sit in the sun and sweat out the hangover from yesterday. Lovely. Nice, wholesome Sunday afternoon. Lovely, lovely. Enjoy. Well, yeah, thank you for being on the pod. And we'll wrap it up. Oh, yeah, no, no, we'll wrap it up and then we'll record your thing. Okay. Yeah, nice. Bye. Tash, thanks for having me on. I have got something to plug, which is the magazine that my girlfriend and her brother started. It's called Gobbledygook. You can see here, it's very nicely illustrated. Um, I wanted to bring this on because one of the things I rate about this podcast, The Debate Club, is uh, it's all about bringing on differences of opinion and allowing people to inform themselves when they don't know about something. So Jamie and Emily started Gobbledygook because Jamie said he didn't understand certain things about cultural identity, sexual identity. So he wanted to create a platform for people that had an opinion on this and were passionate. You know what's coming. Boom! Another progress pod in the bag. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed it.